When is the last time you had a big party? When's the last time you had a big party? Uh, a few weeks ago, Tina threw a pretty big party for Ty. Surprise birthday party here at the building. Some of you were there, right? Uh, man, that was a special time, right? There, there were prayers and blessings. There were, you know, they kind of got to enter into the, um, your cultural heritage, right? And there was traditional foods, uh, traditional music, traditional dances. Uh, it was a really special time to enter into. The day was special. It was set apart. So what about you? When was the last time you had a, a special set-apart kind of day? A lot of times we think of days and times as neutral, right? They just are what they are. Time is just this constant tick of a clock. There's no peaks and valleys to it. It just moves. It just goes, right? Just one flat plane. But I think that intuitively we know that that's not really true. We know that time has an ebb and a flow to it. There are days that are special and set apart, and other days that are maybe just normal, common. But we know that time is not neutral, right? I love what we just sang. Time is in his hands, right? God himself has touched time in such a way that time means something. There are some days that are set apart, there are some days that, that are, are different. I mean, for example, Mary mentioned earlier this morning, today is September 11th, right? This day will always have something different about it. You can't hear that date and not potentially be brought back to, to where you were in the moment that you learned about what was happening in New York City and, and so on, right? This day, we, we carry that memory with us. This day is, is set apart. It's, it's different as we recall that. Or, you know, think about your, your birthday, right? Whatever day that might be. Everyone celebrates birthdays differently, right? I mean, some people have big parties. Other people hardly celebrate their birthday at all. But however you celebrate it, or don't, there's something about that day that's different, right? There's something about that day that, that's different. There's a meaning and a significance to it. Uh, perhaps think about the feeling of Christmas Eve, right? I, in some ways, it's just like any other winter night. It's cold, it's wet, it's dark, but it's Christmas Eve, right? There's something different about it. Now, most of these special days that we have are, we approach them, uh, we mark them often with food, right? Think of a birthday cake. You can taste that, right? Send you right to that special moment. Think of pumpkin pie, right? Maybe you love it, maybe you hate it, but it means something, right? You know, people are beginning to clamor for their pumpkin spice, whatever, um, right? The moment we cross the threshold into September, everyone goes crazy for it. Think of 
gingerbread cookies, right? That, that just sends you somewhere. Each of these brings to mind a special day, a time set apart. All right, so with all of this in mind, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. There at the beginning of the Bible, the third book. Now, my guess is that most of you probably haven't spent a lot of time in Leviticus. Um, what generally we think of Leviticus, when I think of Leviticus, I think Leviticus is the place where Bible reading plans go to die, right? Have any of you ever started off a Bible reading plan? I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. So you start in Genesis, right? You've got creation, all those classic stories, the family drama of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? If you know the musical. Um, all these epic stories that we connect with and know and, and love. And then, if you turn the page, you get to Exodus, right? Whoa, right? You've got Moses, there's a burning bush, there's Egypt and plagues and just crazy stuff. They're delivered through the Red Sea and get to Mount Sinai. I mean, epic action story. And then towards the end of Exodus, it starts to get a little bit more difficult. There are all these long descriptions of the tabernacle, right? But if you can make it through that, you get to Leviticus and find lengthy instructions about sacrifices. And then a bunch of rules and regulations about clean and unclean foods, things to do and not do, right? All of that. If we get to Leviticus, it's usually the place where we give up, get lost. Our Bible reading plan goes there to die, right? right? Maybe you've experienced something like this before. But it's a real shame because there are some real treasures in the midst of the book of Leviticus. And one of those treasures is Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Among all of the rules and regulations and commands, Leviticus 23 contains a unique kind of list. A list of special days, of festivals, and assemblies, and a command that might be summed up like this. Thou shalt feast. Thou shalt feast. Leviticus 23 is filled with all these special days, with special gatherings and special foods, all with special meaning. And so this fall, over the next couple months, we're going to be wandering through and exploring the feasts in Leviticus 23. Each one of these teaches us something about God, about God's people. In many ways, each one of these points toward Jesus in its own specific way, and I think shows us who we might be as God's people. 
So today, our main text is really just going to be the first couple verses of Leviticus 23. Um, But I'm going to also read some excerpts from the rest, because today we're just going to get a big-picture overview of, man, what are all of these feasts and festivals? And reflect on their meaning and function. So let's read Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And now going on to see some of them. Verse 3, the Sabbath. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. Skip down to verse 5. We read about the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And then on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. It goes on to describe more of what that is. Skip down to verse 10. We have the feast of first fruits. When you enter the land I am giving you, I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain that you harvest. And then down to verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This one's often called the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, which means 50. Skip down to verse 24. On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. The Feast of Trumpets. Verse 27. The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves, and present a food offering to the Lord. And then jump down to verse 34. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. And finally, the last verse of the chapter. Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and that you are a God who calls us to feast. God, as we reflect on your scripture and these feasts together, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so these are the feasts and the festivals of Israel. Uh, But let's back up to verses 1 and 2 for today. Today, I want to consider the big picture, what all of these are, but specifically reflect on the general meaning and function of all of these many feasts. And then in the future weeks, we'll dig into each one together. 
all right? But the opening verses of this chapter, God says, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So there's appointed festivals, which are, which are proclaimed as sacred assemblies. Appointed festivals and sacred assemblies. These are the descriptions that I want to dig into and reflect on this morning. So first, appointed festivals. The Hebrew word that's used here is the word moed. Moed. And depending on your translation, it might be rendered appointed festivals, as we just read, feasts, appointed times or seasons. Right? A lot of different ways to translate this word. At its most basic level, it simply means a set time. A set time. Moed. When you're making plans with someone about when to meet, you're making a moed. You're setting a time. A special time for something. You're setting apart that time for a particular purpose. And that's what God does here in Leviticus 23. He sets apart special times for his people. Now, the very first time we encounter this idea about special times is actually all the way back in Genesis 1, in the creation story. Right? In Genesis 1, verse 14, God creates the sun, moon, and stars, saying, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So the sun and the moon and the stars are the means by which people measure time. This is still true today. Right? For the Jewish people, uh, the sun marks the way that they measure days. Right? Sundown is the beginning of the day. That's when the day starts. The day goes all the way up until the next sundown. And the moon marks the beginning and the end of each month. Every month in the Jewish calendar begins with the new moon, which is the opposite of the full moon. Right? You can just barely see that tiny sliver. That's the beginning of the month in the Jewish calendar. So they, they measure it a little bit differently than we do. When the moon is dark, that's the beginning of a month. So the lights in the sky, the sun and the moon, are what measure their days and their years. But they're also what mark sacred times. Sacred times, and that's our word, moed. Same word that's used there. It was by means of the sun and the moon that they would know the special times that God had set for them, the feasts and the festivals. So what are their set times? What are these calendars? That they use? What's the calendar that they follow? Well, that's what Leviticus 23 tells us. So the first thing that we see uh, is that every seven sundowns is Sabbath. On the seventh day, don't work. Rest. It's a weekly rhythm for the people of God. 
And then after describing this weekly rhythm of Sabbath, the rest of the chapter outlines special times for the rest of the year, this calendar. So I'm going to give you a visual aid to help us kind of track this out. Um, so what you see here, it's this calendar wheel. On the inside are our months, right? January, February, March, April, May. You can follow that around in the circle. On the outside are the Jewish months. As you can see their calendar falls a little bit differently than ours does. Um, but this will help us kind of follow along. And their, their first month actually starts in Nisan. That's the one at our sort of three o'clock, right, on the right side. That's, that's the beginning of their year. So the first few feasts that are described in Leviticus 23 are all in the spring, they all occur in the spring. Verse 5, the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Then verse 6, on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. And then down in verse 10 is the offering of first fruits. All of these happen within about a week of one another. In the same week, in the springtime, at the beginning of the harvest. So their, their new year starts with Passover, the celebration that they are a new people who are newly freed from Egypt, set apart as God's people. The festival of unleavened bread is connected to that. A new people, and then they go into their own land, and, and they begin harvesting things, and so you've got the first fruits, right? Then in verse 15, they count off seven full weeks and present another offering of new grain to the Lord. This is called the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, the word 50, 50 days later. And it occurs in late spring or early summer. And then finally, the last few special days that we see in Leviticus 23 all occur in the fall during the seventh month, Tishri. They're on the, the other side of this diagram. So verse 24, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts, the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 27, the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. And then finally, verse 34, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins. And that leads them on into winter and back around to the beginning. This is the calendar of appointed festivals that we see in Leviticus 23. Now, just like we were talking about at the beginning, time is not neutral. Time is not neutral. And the same thing is true of calendars. Calendars are not neutral. Every calendar tells a story. Every calendar tells a story that shapes the identity of the people who follow that calendar. So this is the calendar of Israel. But, for example, our country also has a calendar that tells a story, right? 
Some of the holidays on our calendar include things like Independence Day, Memorial Day, and Veterans Day. Days like these together all reflect on the strength of the U.S., right? The strength of our country. We fought for independence, and we remember those who fight. That's the story that these holidays tell. And then there are days like, well, last week, there's Labor Day. There's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, commemorating the civil rights movement. And then most recently, recognized nationally, there's Juneteenth, right? Another day. And these days together uh, would suggest a story about the progress of our country, right? Look at the progress that we've made. We've outlawed things like slavery, oppressive labor. We've legislated for civil rights, right? This is the progress that we're making. That's the story that these holidays tells, right? The American calendar tells a story about our country. And it's meant to make us think and feel a certain way about our country. It's strong. It's progressing. So on and so forth. And no matter whether you agree or disagree with the stories that these holidays tell, they're telling this story. And they're trying to shape the people who follow it. So that's the story of, of, our, of our country's holidays. But, but this is Israel's holidays, right? And what story does their calendar tell? Well, it begins with Passover and unleavened bread. The story of when God delivered and freed the people from Egypt. Then it moves on to festivals of the harvest, right? The first fruits and the festival of weeks. Festivals that tell the story of God who provides for us. He's given us this land, and we are reaping and harvesting from it. And then in the fall, you have the trumpet blast and the day of atonement when God cleanses his people from their sins. And finally, you have the festival of tabernacles, we'll read about later, where they actually go out into the wilderness in tents for a week. Basically, go camping with God, right? Reenact the story of when you wandered in the wilderness and God led you through it. All the way through, this calendar tells a story of God delivering, providing for, cleansing, leading, and caring for his people. Over and over again, sundown to sunrise, new moon to full moon, this is the story that the people of Israel live by. A story that says, the Lord is our God. This is the story that is to shape them as a people. These are the moed of the Lord, the appointed festivals and times. So these are the set times, but how are these times to be celebrated? How are these times to be celebrated? Well, they're feasts, right? They are feasts. Every Sabbath began with a special meal. 
But the family would gather together around the table and begin Sabbath. They'd light candles and they'd eat a special Sabbath dinner. The Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, has specific instructions about what kind of meal you are to eat, what kind of food you are to have, right? It's a feast. The harvest festivals of first fruits and the weeks, that's all about food, right? We're harvesting food. It's, it's a feast. The other include special foods as well. When God calls his people to live this calendar, he calls them to feast. Thou shalt feast. Uh, remember earlier this year, we did that series called At the Table, where we looked through the Gospel of Luke and saw that Jesus did much of his ministry at the table, sharing meals with people. Where do you think Jesus got that idea? Ages before, the Lord God had called the people to feast. This is where I will meet my people at the table, in the feasts, sacred assemblies. And that's what these feasts are called, right? If you look back at verse 2, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Sacred assemblies. Now, the Hebrew word here is mikra. Mikra. And this word means to call together to gather up, to bring people or bring things together. That's what feasts do. They gather things together that were once dispersed and far apart. And I, I want to identify three things that are brought together when we feast through these feasts. The first and the most obvious thing that gets brought and called together in feasts is people, right? People get brought together through feast. Feasting requires being together, around a table, sharing food. The first and the most frequent occasion, Sabbath, that we read about in Leviticus 23, involved a meal gathering at the smallest level. It was just the household. The family would gather around the dinner table on Sabbath. But then the, the festivals of Passover, of Pentecost, and of the tabernacles all involved a national gathering. People would travel to Jerusalem and gather there to celebrate these festivals. All the people would gather during those times. Feasts gather people together. Feasts remind us that we're not alone. That's what God wants to say through these feasts. We're not alone. This is important, and it's a practice that we need to recover today. Never underestimate the value of sharing a meal with someone, of inviting someone to lunch or over for dinner. Right? It may be simple and common, but it is a deeply spiritual thing. Simply sharing a meal in community is mikra. It's a sacred assembly that calls things together. 
And so feasts draw people together. But I think there's some other things that feasts begin to draw together. The next thing I want to point out is feasts actually draw time itself together. The past, the present, and the future. This may seem a little bit abstract, but, but follow me here. Let me describe what I mean. Some of you, uh, well, let me put it this way. I think we all have different ways of viewing time. We all have different ways of, of approaching time and, and, and experiencing it. So some of us may have a nostalgic view of time, right? We just long for the good old days. Let's get back to that, right? The past is where it's at. We have a nostalgic view of time. I often feel this way when we get to the fall. For some reason, the fall just feels kind of nostalgic, right? All these memories of starting up school and changing seasons, we're moving toward the holiday season, all these family gatherings. There's just so many memories concentrated in the fall. And so, so we move toward that. There's a nostalgic way of seeing it. Uh, for others, you might have an anxious view of time, an anxious view of time. You're always aching to get to the next thing right? When, when are we going to get to the next thing? When, what's coming next? How do I get to the future, right? You're always anxious to get there. I find that often kicks into gear for me the moment I try to sit down and pray or read the Bible. Anyone else? I'm going to have some quality time with God. <sighs> what all do I need to do today? Oh yeah, right? And the list just starts going. You start thinking about everything that has to happen, all the things that you need to work on, all the headlines that there are to catch up on and read, right? You, you know the drill. This can also kick into gear when we're trying to spend time with people, right? I just want to be with you, you know? And so you sit down, you're going to have a good conversation, and then suddenly your mind is going somewhere else. Do you ever see groups of people, you know, at a restaurant, but they're all on their phone for some reason, doing other stuff, right? It's that anxious view of time. I got to see what else is going on. I got to get to the next thing. There's an anxiety about it. Now, there's, there's another way of viewing time. You know, some of you are hearing me, you're like, all right, so there's the nostalgic view. You're kind of looking to the past. There's the anxious view. You're always getting to the, the future. So, so, all right, Drew's going to say, we really need to be in the present. And you're thinking, that's me. I know a few of you are probably there. Here's the thing. The present is never untethered from the past and the future. If we're ever just present, uh, it's often a dissociated view of time, right? Where you're not coming from anything or going anywhere. You're just sort of floating around. But the biblical view of time is always connected to the past and the future. It's always moving somewhere. So what does all of this have to do with feasting? We all have these various different views of time. But feasting has a way of drawing past, present, and future all together, right? For example, a birthday. We look back and celebrate a birthday because there was a day historically when you were born. But we celebrate that right now. And we look forward to the next year of your life, right? That's why we add that little and many more, 
to the end of the birthday song, right? We're, we're remembering the past in the present and looking toward the future. Feasts do this. They call all of these times together. And we see this in Leviticus as well. Each of these feasts looks back to something God has done in the life of his people. And they celebrate it together right now while they look toward and trust God to do it again. It draws all of these things together and goes against the grain of nostalgic, anxious, and dissociated views of time and brings it into a holistic, purposeful view of time. Now, there's one more thing that I think gets drawn together in our feasts, and that is that feasts bring heaven and earth together. Feasts become a meeting place for heaven and earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and those were meant to be together as one whole. But these two realms were torn apart from one another through sin. And so when sin entered, they were torn apart. We often feel like God is far off or that life down here on earth is meaningless and we just need to get to heaven someday. But if we look at all of these feasts, they involve really common things. Bread and drink. The Passover lamb. The first fruits. And these common earthy things are deeply spiritual. We find God calling us to them. These earthy things become places where earth and heaven meet. Feasting is not only a way to be with other people or a way of finding renewed purpose and time. It's a way of joining heaven and earth, of communing with God. And so in these feasts, things that were once far off get drawn together. Mikra, called together into a sacred assembly. They remake us as people and remake the world around us. Which of these things do you need to be drawn together in your life? Drawn together to community and other people. Drawn together with time itself. Drawn near to God. The feasts invite us into that. And you see, as followers of Jesus, all of these feasts point us toward Jesus. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul addresses those who may or may not observe these feasts. And he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. All of these festivals are but a shadow of the reality that is Jesus Christ. This calendar that pointed people back to God again and again and again, ultimately points us toward Jesus. That's what we're going to be exploring together throughout the coming weeks. Calendars have a way of shaping us. 
It's why in the first few centuries of the church, people developed a new calendar that's specifically about the life of Jesus that we still practice today. In the winter, we await the arrival of Jesus, and then we celebrate his birth and the feast of Christmas. In the spring, we approach the cross during the season of Lent and then celebrate the resurrection and the festival of Easter, right? This calendar tells us the story of Jesus and reminds us who we are in him. There are many feasts that we celebrate throughout the year as a church, but just like the Sabbath was for them, we also have a weekly feast that we celebrate. The Feast of Communion. The Lord's Supper. This feast draws us together every week with other people as we come together to worship. It draws together the past, the present, and the future as we remember the death of Jesus in the past until he comes again in the future and hold on to that hope right here and right now in the present. The Feast of Communion is a place where heaven and earth are drawn together. Simple things like bread and juice draw us into the heavenly reality of the kingdom of God. And so as we share this feast, we don't need to be nostalgic about the past. We don't need to be anxious about the future. But we need to be presently rooted in the hope of what is to come in Christ. In the feast of bread and wine, we are reminded of who Jesus is and who we are in him. This feast draws us into all of God's feast, the appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies. Thou shalt feast, so let us feast. Amen.